In just a few months, America will be uh, remembering <clears throat> the lives of those who we lost on September 11th, 2001. It's a day that many of us will never forget. I, for one, will never forget that day. And while many of us remember the planes that crashed into the Twin Towers, or maybe remember the plane that crashed in that field or the plane that crashed in the Pentagon, what I most remember about that day was the aftermath that followed. The people of America were in complete chaos. Questions needed answers to, such as, which city will we strike next? Um, are we going to World War III? What is the president going to do? It seemed like a dark cloud covered our land, and everyone felt the effects of it. Sorrow and disparity hovered over our land, and anxiety and fear were on the faces and minds of many Americans. And as the darkness covered our lands, I can remember suddenly, almost overnight, Americans were uniting together to help and aid all those who lost their lives. It seemed like overnight there was some sort of, of new life that was given to Americans. Suddenly the darkness began to go away, and life was given back to the American people. Smiles were given back to the American people, and their tears no longer were streaming down their cheeks. And the one truth that was pulling Americans out of their disparity was this, and you might remember the one truth that was pulling Americans through was that we're Americans. That we are Americans. Americans never give up. Americans are tough. Americans don't back down. Americans fall, but Americans get back up again. Friends, as we consider the words of Jeremiah in Lamentations chapter 3... The context is no different. These words Jeremiah penned in this passage are immediately following the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonian armies. And around this time in Israel's history, their situation couldn't have been more grim. The times were dark and sorrowful. The ten tribes of Israel had long been taken into captivity. Most of the Israelites no longer lived in their own land. Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was no longer there, and the roads that led toward Zion were empty and all torn away. To those Israelites who were allowed to remain in the land, Jeremiah being one of them, they lived in the most harshest conditions. They were plagued with famine, they were abused by foreign oppressors who had settled in their land. Jeremiah himself was in a pitiful state. And the reason is because he was a first-hand witness to all the misery, and he's experienced it himself. In fact, the very first words of Lamentations chapter 3, Jeremiah says this, I am a man that has seen affliction. Humanly speaking, the situation could have not been any better or any worse, I should say. 
9-11 doesn't pale in comparison to what, the way Jeremiah was feeling at this particular time. Yes, the Twin Towers were down, but a whole nation was wiped out. If anyone had reason to lament, if anyone had reason to be sorrowful, it was this prophet of Judah, Jeremiah. Yet in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of affliction, what pulled Jeremiah through was not the truth that he was a prophet. What pulled Jeremiah through was not the fact that he was a Levite. What pulled Jeremiah through was not looking at himself. What pulled us Americans through was looking at who we are, right? We are Americans and we are tough. Jeremiah looked away from himself. He looked away from himself for strength and comfort. And rather, Jeremiah looked to God. And when Jeremiah looked away from himself, when he looked away from his nationality, when he looked away from his calling, what he saw was an attribute of God that strengthens the most weakest of souls. The Puritan Thomas Watson once said, Mercy sweetens all God's other attributes. Charles Persian said, God's mercy is so great, how great is it, that you may sooner drain the sea of its waters, or deprive the sun of its light, or make space too narrow, then diminish the great mercy of God. Friends, as we continue our Doctrine of God lessons, this evening I wanted to consider the mercy of God. And like last week when we looked at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, and we considered the doctrine of the grace of God, this evening we will examine the various aspects of God's mercy by looking at Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 to 23. And I have three points I would like for us to consider as we examine this grand attribute of God. Number one, God's mercy is everlasting. God's mercy is everlasting. Number two, God's mercy is anew. And number three, God's mercy is faithful. God's mercy is everlasting. God's mercy is anew. And God's mercy is faithful. Now, you might have heard many sermons on the doctrine of God's mercy. And let me remind you that things like God's mercy never grow old. Things like, or actually not things, but truths like God's grace and his love never grow old. You don't say, well, let me skip God's mercy and grace and let me get to the Trinity or let me get to simplicity or you know, let me get to covenant theology or something like that, right? I was telling Bobby last Sunday, there are no such thing as milk and cookie doctrines, okay? You don't say, well, I want to skip the milk and cookies and go to the meat all of God's word concerning doctrine is meat, okay? And nothing is more profound than the mercy of God. So God's everlasting mercy. Before we look at mercy, though, and, and the way uh, it's seen in Lamentations chapter 3, I think it would be helpful if we define what mercy is. So what is mercy? Uh, Louis Burkhoff defines mercy as the goodness or love of God shown to those who are in misery or distress. 
the goodness or love of God shown to those who are in misery or distress. In the ESV, you might see mercy. And then in the King James, you might see loving kindness or you might see compassion. Okay, all of those relate to God's mercy. Louis Burkhoff goes on and says, if the grace of God contemplates a man as guilty before God and therefore in need of forgiveness, the mercy of God contemplates him as one who is bearing the consequences of sin, who is in a pitiable condition and who therefore needs divine help. We all need mercy in this life. We all need mercy as soon as we were born and the wonderful thing about god is the second we're born he gives us mercy but we'll move on so we'll get to there mercy is god if you want a definition my own definition mercy is god uh demonstrating to his elect his compassion goodness and loving kindness that's my definition mercy is god demonstrating to his elect his compassion goodness and loving kindness And that's what Jeremiah saw when he considered God's mercy. Look at Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. It says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. We can just stop there and just do a whole sermon on that. His mercies never come to an end. His mercies never come to an end. If you have a King James... It says the steadfast, it's because of the steadfast love of God that you are not consumed. God's love never ceases for those whom he loves. His mercy never comes to an end for those who he gives mercy and demonstrates mercy to. The first aspect we see of God's mercy is his mercy is eternal. His mercy is eternal. And since we know that everything in God is God, right, Since God is eternal, then everything that he possesses is eternal. God's mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. Again, divine simplicity tells us that God's attributes are identical to his essence, meaning that God is not made up of his attributes, right? God is simple. When we speak about God's mercy, what we are saying is God's mercy is not something that he has. God's mercy is not something that he has in addition to who he is. Just like you have things, mercy, love, uh, wisdom, that are a part of you, that are in addition to who you are. We don't say that God has mercy. We say that God is mercy. That God is mercy. He is the very definition. He is the very perfection of what mercy is. God doesn't acquire mercy. Rather, It's his very nature to be merciful. If we were to say that God acquired mercy, then he wouldn't be eternal or his mercy wouldn't be eternal because there would be a time a long, long time ago when God wasn't mercy and then he acquired mercy. Friends, God didn't acquire mercy at Genesis 3.15. God didn't acquire mercy at Genesis 1. If there was never a fall, God would still be merciful. God is eternally merciful. He's eternally mercy. 2 Corinthians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Notice here, he says the father of mercies. The plural, the plural is used because it's to show God's exceeding mercy. It's, it's to show that God has an abundance of mercy. God is rich in mercy. And he delights in showing mercy to poor and miserable creatures like you and I. In Psalms 136, I'm not going to read it, but if you ever read it, we are reminded of this great mercy. 26 times the writer gives us something to praise the Lord for. And after every single reason, he reminds us of this one truth. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. God's mercy is not a temporary mood that can be changed, but an attribute that's a part or that's, that, is, that God has eternally in himself. Since it comes, since mercy comes from his eternal nature, God's mercy is infinite and exhaustible. God's mercy is unfathomable and incomprehensible. It's very incomprehensible to think this God would have mercy on such a low creature. Since God's mercy is eternal, then God's mercy never began to be. It always was. Since God's mercy is eternal, then it will never cease to be. His mercy can never be more since he is infinite. He can't give us more mercy than he already has because he's already giving us the full measure of his mercy. It can never be less because the infinite cannot suffer any lessening. Reflecting on the internality of God's mercy, Thomas Watson says, The souls of the blessed shall be ever bathing themselves in this sweet and pleasant ocean of God's mercy. This is what we will be delighting ourselves in for all eternity. You want to know the difference between heaven and hell? God is present in both, okay? But the difference in heaven is God is present with us with the mediator, with Jesus Christ, the God-man. So from the very first start of our existence, God is showing mercy to us. How? By allowing us to be born. And then when we reach to heaven, he's showing mercy to us. How? Because we are in the presence of his son, the God-man, Jesus Christ. This is what our souls will delight in forever and ever and ever. The pleasant ocean of God's mercy. God's mercy will never cease to be because God will never cease to be. If one aspect, if one, we can say, perfection of attribute of God ceased to be, ceased to be then, then God would no longer be God. Here in our verse's context, Jeremiah understands that things could be a lot worse. He understands that though many have died, and Jerusalem is not even a shadow of what it used to be, he gets this one truth, and don't ever forget this. He gets who he is. He gets that he is a creature. He understands that he is the clay and that God is the potter. And the fact that God did not wipe him out in judgment, that's the reason why God uh, allowed the Babylonian armies to invade Israel and, and Jerusalem and wipe them out. It was out of judgment. The fact that God did not wipe out Jeremiah in judgment is indeed an act of his mercy and loving kindness towards him. He gets that. He gets that, hey, that could have been me. He understands that. Through calamity and sorrow, God is teaching us, through the example of Jeremiah, this lesson. 
then never forget who God is when the dark clouds are hovering over your life. Never forget who your God is. Though the world around you may be in chaos, God is not in chaos. God is still on the throne. They asked R.C. Sproul one time, where was God at September 11th? He said the same place he was September 10th and September 12th. He was on his throne. He is on his throne. His love and mercy toward you, saints, is everlasting. His compassions fell not. Remember, saints, when you are in the midst of sorrow, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And this word, steadfast love, is very difficult to translate in the Hebrew. But the, the Hebrew word is hasid, which means this, covenant love. His covenant love that he has for you never goes away. It never ceases. Saints, you cannot run out or you cannot outrun or you can out God's steadfast love and mercy. It will remain with us forever. Saints, nothing that has occurred or will ever occur in heaven, on earth, or in hell will ever change the tender mercies of our God. God does not go through mood swings in his changes because we know that he is impassable. And he can't change whatsoever his mercy because he is immutable. God's mercy does not change for us. It is everlasting. It remains with us now and forevermore. So that's the first aspect of God's mercy. God's mercy is eternal. Now let's look at the second aspect of God's mercy. And that is God's mercy is anew. God's mercy is anew. Look at verse 23. They are new every morning. Jeremiah, speaking about God's mercy, he goes on and he says, they are new every morning. As if the truth of God's mercy being eternal wasn't sweet enough, right? He adds a little bit more sugar to it. The prophet says God's mercy are new every morning. Friends, have you ever seen a video of the sunrise? How many of you like watching sunrises? The sunrise is a very awe-inspiring view. Many of us who have seen the sunrise in person... What, think about the emotion that you have when you are watching it. For many watching the sunrise, it reminds you of the unique privilege you have to breathe and live another day. For some watching the sunrise, it brings some sort of refreshment to our lives. For some watching the sunrise, it reminds us that darkness is only temporary. Saints, God's mercy is likened to all of those things. God's mercy reminds us of who we are and who God is. That God, by waking us up, is displaying to us his mercy. And isn't that amazing? I mean, just get the very first, the, the, the moment you wake up, God is already demonstrating his mercy toward you. Saints, the roosters don't wake you up. The alarm clock doesn't wake you up. And many of you know when you oversleep, right? When you don't hear it. God wakes you up. And in that waking you up, he's demonstrating his mercy toward you. Just as the sunrise brings refreshment to our bodies, God's mercy does the same, but even more. 
We are refreshed, not only in body and mind. God takes care of those things, but also in soul and spirit. God has shown us mercy in Christ, has he not? God shows us compassion, not for anything that we have done, but solely on the merits of our mediator, Jesus Christ. Saints, it's because of Christ and our faith in him we receive mercy. And every day that mercy is being manifested to you. Every single day, God is manifesting his great mercy, his eternal mercy to you. Just as the sunrise reminds us that the darkness is only temporary, God's mercy reminds us that sorrow and pain and calamity are also only for a short time. Psalms 35 Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. What was the psalmist thinking when he said joy comes in the morning? What joy comes in the morning? The mercy of God. The mercy of God is the joy that comes in the morning. But how is the mercy of God the joy that comes in the morning? Because it's new every single morning. It's new every single morning. What this means is this, saints. God didn't run out of mercy for us yesterday. That the loving kindness of our Lord has not ended. That God is not stingy with his mercy. That God doesn't give us or he doesn't put us on mercy allowances. That's not the way God works. Ephesians 2 says God is rich in mercy. Saints, the sweetness of this verse is this. That we never have to live on yesterday's blessings. That's the sweetness of this, that we never have to live on yesterday's mercies as sweet as they are because they are new every single morning. God's mercy are never early and they're never late. They're always on time. They're new every morning. Today's mercy saints are for today's burdens. Tomorrow's mercies will be for tomorrow's problems. He will take care of you. If you ever think that, man, how is God going to get me out of this? His mercy never fails. His mercy always comes through. Saints, be of good cheer this morning or this evening. As sure as the sun will rise tomorrow morning, you can rest assured that God's mercy will be with his people. You can guarantee it. So that's the second aspect of God's mercy. Now, let's bring us to uh, the, the third aspect of, of God's mercy. And that is, his mercy is faithful. His mercy is faithful. The ending of verse 23 says this. Great is your faithfulness. After all that's been said about God's mercy, it's eternal and it's new every morning. Jeremiah says, great is your faithfulness. This is the third aspect of God's mercy, that God's mercy is faithful. Saints, how do you know that after you sin and ask for forgiveness, that God will forgive you and extend mercy towards you? How do you know that you will be forgiven and and you will receive God's mercy? Because the mercy of God is a faithful mercy. It's unlike our mercy. 
if I do something wrong to you, it's going to take a very long time for you to get over it. There is no getting over with God. If you repent of your sins, and if you are truly sorrowful, he will forgive you right there and then. He will extend mercy toward you. Deuteronomy 7.9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. And hear this. He is, a, he is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. He's a faithful God who keeps his covenant love with those whom he has entered into covenant with via Christ. That's us, the elect, the church. Nehemiah 9.17 says, They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they, stiffne- they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt after these Israelites were led out of Egypt, they suddenly forgot the goodness of God. They suddenly forgot the mercy and the grace of God. They wanted to go back to Egypt. But here it says, but you are a God ready to forgive. You are a God ready to forgive. Israel didn't have to perform various acts. You were ready right there and then, God, to forgive, gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. In light of what Israel put God through, he did not forsake them. And when you read the entirety of the Old Testament, you see in Malachi, what's the very first words? I have loved you. At the very last book and the very last prophet of the Old Testament age God reminds his people, Israel, I have loved you. My, my faithful mercy toward you has not gone away. I am still on your side. And saints, God is on our side now. God doesn't hold back his promises, nor does he go back on his promises. God's mercy doesn't leave us when we need it most. God is faithful to who he is. Remember what, remember what uh, 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 2 Timothy 2.13 says. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. But notice here that himself, who he is, is being, is being connected to his perfection, faithfulness. Right? Right here, we, he is making a connection between who God is and the faithfulness and, and, and the faith that he has, um, f- the faithfulness he has for us. This means this, saints, that God doesn't take days off. That God doesn't take days off. If we were for one second, or if God was for one second not to be faithful to us, then he would cease to be God. But friends, since God doesn't take days off, what does that mean about us? Let's put the mirror on, our, on ourselves for a second. How often do we take days off from reading God's word? How often do we take days off from praying? God is faithful to us, but how often do we take days off from being faithful to him? How often do we take days off from being in church? 
and fellowshipping with the saints. Friends, none of us are faithful to God as we should be. And none of us are as faithful to forgive and display mercy to others as we should be either. This is not just about God. It is one. But also, too, it's about how we treat others as well. Saints, let this lesson of God's mercy challenge you to be more like your heavenly father. God shows us mercy, and then he bids us to show that same type of mercy to others as well. Just as last week we learned about the costly love of God, or the costly uh, grace of God, it costs God a costly grace, right? It's a costly grace, and, and it cost him his son, a costly love for us. And he turns around and he tells us, he bids to us, he commands us costly obedience, costly love for him. God shows us mercy. Saints, are you showing mercy in your lives to others? Jesus says in Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. God displays to us his faithful mercy so that in return, we can be faithful to him and be faithful to others as well. Saints, what the knowledge of God's mercy should do, it is to drive us to praise and obedience. That's what the love of God drives us to. That's what the grace of God drives us to. The simplicity, immutability, impassibility, incomprehensibility, all of those wonderful truths about God drives us to praise and obedience. Understand, saints, that God's mercy is free, that he's not required to show mercy to anyone, yet he displays to us his mercy every single morning, does he not? In the physical He displays his mercy to us by waking us up, providing for us food and shelter, giving us jobs and a car, blessing many of you with a wife and a husband and kids. But even more than that, God has shown us mercy in the spiritual, standing at the center of all those great physical mercies, stands the most splendid revelation of mercy. And that is the great mercy of Jesus Christ on the cross. When you look at the cross, you should see that screams to us mercy, forgiveness, grace, love. What a great costly mercy of God in sending his only begotten son into this world to redeem us out of the slave market of sin. It is only because of God's mercy in Christ, saints, that we are saved and declared innocent. The gavel has been already banged on our behalf. We don't have to wait to judgment day to know if we are declared righteous and innocent before God. But right here, right now, you can know that you have a full... uh, you have full confidence and, and full assurance that you have been justified, declared righteous in God's sight by the blood of Jesus Christ. My father used to sing a song, and the words went something like this. Your grace and mercy has brought me through. I'm living this moment because of you. Justice demanded that I should die. But grace and mercy said, oh, no, 
Oh, no. Oh, no. And I changed the words here a little bit. Jesus Christ has already paid the price. Because of God's grace and mercy, we are living at this very moment. His grace and mercy extended his arm out to us and pulled us out of a miry clay. And he did a heart transplant on us. He took our our heart of flesh and our stone and and he gave us a heart of flesh. Saints, your entire life is a testimony of God's mercy. It is God's mercy in Christ that we stand here today redeemed, justified, delivered, sanctified, adopted, preserved, and one day, oh, that glorious day, it will be glorified. Saints, if you've come with disparity, if you've come with sorrow, anxiety, all of those things that try to bring you down, understand this one truth, that God's mercy will never leave you and will never forsake you. It's an eternal mercy that began long ago. It began in eternity past and will extend into eternity future. And every single day, when you want to be reminded of God's mercy, look to his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.